0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Steve Kunzman and Todd Ruback from the law firm of DeFrancesco Bateman, Coley, Yasmin, Kunzman, Davis, and Lehrer in Warren, New Jersey. Steve Kunzman is a member of the firm specializing in environmental law, toxic torts, and insurance coverage matters and mediations. He is an author and lecturer and a member of DRI. Todd Ruback is of counsel to the firm with a concentration in privacy data protection and technology law. He is also a lecturer and a 2009 certified information privacy professional. Our topic for discussion today is on increasing regulatory compliance requirements and a spike in privacy-related litigation. Organizations and insurance carriers will be faced with privacy as a significant risk component to business. And Brendan Noonan will lead off today with our first question. Todd, what has changed most in recent years, and why is this a growing concern for both insurers and
1: organizations?
2: Thanks, Brendan, and it's a pleasure to be here today discussing this important topic. I think the right way to look at the concept of privacy is that there's been a natural evolution in business so that as the internet has become the main platform for commerce, the management and protection of information that's exchanged over the internet, both business and personal information, has grown in importance. And society is beginning to recognize that this information has intrinsic value. It's an asset. And where something has intrinsic value, it often can be a target for theft. So people's expectations that the information they're providing over the Internet are shifting to think that this information should be and will be protected. And this shift in expectations is beginning to be reflected by increased litigation that we're seeing for both data breaches as
1: well as for poor privacy practices. And if I can interject... Brendan, from the standpoint of the insurer, the most significant changes would be the development of regulations and and industry privacy practices, which should be contemplated in the underwriting process as well as in the analysis of claims. So uh, questions such as whether the insured has implemented the appropriate privacy protection practices must be considered. This is a rapidly developing area, as Todd indicated, both technologically and legally. So insurers would be well-served in tapping into people with knowledge and experience, people like Todd, who have extensive and focused knowledge in this area. Todd, tell us about the privacy violation suit against Heartland Payment Systems.
2: Sure. Uh, Well, actually, there ended up being about 19 class action suits filed against Heartland. I may be off in my count by one or two, but they've all been consolidated down into one federal class action suit right now. By way of background, this data breach lawsuit came about as a result of a group of external hackers led by a gentleman named Alberto Gonzalez. He was a former Secret Service informant, and he was the person who had actually also perpetrated the TJ Maxx data breach a number of years ago. Uh, Anyway, his group injected malware outside the Heartland Payment Systems firewall, and what this malware did was intercept all the credit card transactions as they were being processed and flowing from outside of the, you know, from the businesses into Heartland systems, into their network. Um, The hackers allegedly intercepted up to 100 million transactions per month for up to eight months, I heard, before Heartland shut them down. Now, Heartland's one of the world's largest credit card processors, and it was PCI compliant. That's Payment Card Industry Technical Standard for Security in fact, had received its letter of certification by an external auditor. So, in theory, Heartland had all the proper technical safeguards in place. But some interesting issues in the case include why Heartland, if it was PCI compliant, didn't detect the malware sooner than it did, and also why it waited so long to shut it down. So the positive takeaway from this whole situation with Heartland is that the Heartland has become the poster child of how to learn and improve from a data breach. It's really jumped out into the vanguard of, imposing, of, of looking at privacy as an ongoing process and, and an asset. What is of concern, however, is the cost that both Heartland and its insurers have spent already and will be spending on an ongoing basis. I've read articles, I think some are a bit dated already, that Hartland's insurers have spent over $12 million in litigation defense costs. And that was of, ooh, three, four months ago, I think. Now, of that $12 million, I, I heard that there's also a, a component of that was to replace credit cards for affected cardholders. In addition, Heartland has incurred fines from both MasterCard and Visa in multiples of millions of dollars, which probably will be disputed. But other costs to date that Heartland's uh, incurred are softer costs, which include loss of corporate goodwill, loss of shareholder value, cost of investigation, data breach incident response, and the implementation of a layer of full-time management to oversee this matter.
0: Okay, can you talk about the two primary components of privacy and which of any of these is the bigger area of concern?
2: Sure, that's a great question. So privacy encompasses two components. um, The first of which I've touched upon, that's data protection, and the second is privacy practices. The the data protection component has more to do with security of information, um, oftentimes uh, technical security. The privacy practices component has to do with how you manage personal information, what your strategy and approach, as well as operations, may be to manage personal information as an asset. And one such example of a privacy practice is the use of personal information that may be acquired or gleaned online by a, by an organization. From a customer or consumer's perspective, a company's privacy practices begin with what he or she finds in a business's privacy statement, usually found, usually found on a corporate website. Often in these privacy statements uh, or notices, uh, they tell a customer what a company's approach to protecting information is. For example, we've all read where an online privacy statement might say, your privacy is very important to us, and this is how we treat the information you give us. That statement is usually followed by a list of things a company does technically to protect your personal information that you may give to the company. All of this adds up to create a series of promises or obligations that a company is taking on in exchange for us giving our personal information over the Internet, and that becomes a contract. If the company, however, turns around and does, doesn't do what it says, meaning it does not in fact practice what it preaches, then the company is really at risk for uh, what's called an unfair, deceptive online trade practice. And this has been a huge growth area in not only litigation but regulatory enforcement. This is important because depending on the state, a company can end up paying three times for the same poor privacy practice. First, the FTC can investigate and file a lawsuit against a company. Second, the relevant state or state's attorney general can do the same thing. And then third, depending on the state, there may be a private cause of action. So um, an insurer will want to consider the adequacy of an insurer's privacy practices when it's uh, considering issuing coverage to an organization.
0: Okay, thanks. And Steve, what can an insurance company do to be proactive against the wave of changes in the industry? And how can a law firm help out in this process?
1: John, a proactive insurer uh, would be best to review the various products, the, the various policy and policy forms that it has to determine whether uh, and how they would respond to the claims. There are various forms out there. Some insurers have created their own special policies. And there's also coverage part B of the typical CGL policy, which generally includes, includes coverage for damages caused by a personal injury or advertising injury, which is something which uh, is of, worthy of consideration. But consideration of the various types of claims is also important. For example, is there coverage for an employee who walks away with a data on a thumb drive or theft of employee information that's supposed to uh, remain private? Is there coverage where an outside vendor is used for customers' personal information? That is, where a company goes to, their, to an outside company to service the privacy information. And then the question is, is that vendor entitled to coverage if they're an additional insured or could the company be an additional under, insured under the vendor's policy? Also, what if the information retained is somehow maintained or rendered inaccurate by a computer virus or a software error? How does that apply? As I said, some insurers have developed privacy policies or endorsements to cover some of these forms of claims. So uh, if an insurer does not intend to cover this type of claim, a comprehensive exclusion needs to be developed. For those of us who have been through the environmental insurance wars, it's evident that a clear and thorough exclusion is the best way to address these types of claims, particularly since it's likely that privacy claims as to any one entity would be addressed in many jurisdictions each which may interpret policy terms in a different way, and therefore a, a solid exclusion or solid provision of the policy is necessary to be able to deal with the various jurisdictional views. A clear and comprehensive exclusion is essential for the insurer to be able to respond to the risk it intended to underwrite. So a law firm with the experience in privacy law, particularly with, with a person such as, with credentials such as Todd has, along with someone who has knowledge, and experience in coverage matters would be best suited to assist an insurer in developing its underwriting process, reviewing its policies, developing a response to claims, and, of course, having a defense counsel with a thorough knowledge of the regulations, privacy law, and all the related issues would be the best uh, thing person to address and respond to claims. Todd, are there any other current relevant cases out there, and where do you see this evolving? Yeah,
2: sure, Brendan. Uh, there's two interesting cases that I'm following right now. One is a data breach lawsuit out of Maine, where the defendant is a company called Hannaford Brothers, a supermarket chain out, up there. And the second is a um, case that's uh, coming out of the federal courts in California called Quan versus Arch Wireless. Um, and that case is going up to the U.S. Supreme Court for review. They just accepted it for review. And that. And that case, talk, um, the main issue there is workplace privacy. But in, in the first case, a data breach case, which is a Hannaford Brothers out of Maine, the trial court there petitioned the Maine Supreme Court for guidance as to whether time and effort spent to protect your identity as a result of a data breach can be considered as a compensable claim. Uh, historically, that the, the courts have held that this cannot be a compensable claim, and at trial, this particular judge also held no. This has been the linchpin to the defense success to date in data breach litigation across the country. But with the changing attitudes towards privacy and changing expectations, this judge actually was proactive and went and asked the state Supreme Court to revisit this issue. If the Supreme Court of, of Maine comes back saying that this is a compensable injury, then this will be a huge win for plaintiffs in data breach litigation because they'll no longer have to prove actual pecuniary damages in data breach lawsuits. So far, most data breach lawsuits have been dismissed or settled out of court because the plaintiffs have been unable to prove direct damages caused by defendant's negligence. So we're kind of waiting on pins and needles on that one. But in the second case, the one out of California, Quan versus R-Troop Wireless, that has to do with workplace privacy and whether an employer has a right to access and monitor an employee's text messages that were sent on the employer handheld device like a Blackberry. In this case, the U.S. Supreme Court will, re- will review a federal appeals ruling that sided with police officers, those were the employees, who complained that the police department improperly snooped on their electronic exchanges. The Ninth Circuit also faulted the text messaging service for handing over the text messages to the department without the officer's consent. So the issue that the Supreme Court will decide is whether the users of text messaging service have a reasonable expectation of privacy regarding messages that are stored on the service providers network. You know, in this case, the police department, although they had a policy against officers using pagers for personal reasons, they also had an informal privacy practice of not enforcing it if the officers paid for the excess messages. Um, insurers are. They're going to be interested in this case because it will affect coverage of the insured if their privacy practices don't match the policy handbooks.
0: Okay, great, Todd. Thanks. We just have one more question. We'd like to direct this to both the attorneys, and that is basically how do companies and insureds stay ahead of the curve of advancing technologies, and basically what can they do for these future challenges?
2: Yeah, great finishing question. I'll, I'll take a first swipe at this, Steve. You know, as the Heartland case has taught us, as well as so many other cases, the right approach to privacy is that it's a process and not an event. Just obtaining a certification that your operations meet a certain technical standard is just not enough anymore. Uh, An organization really has to be vigilant as a matter of process in how it manages and protects information. It has to really be strategic in its thinking and have a lot of executive endorsement that comes down from high, you know, throughout the enterprise. You know, many organizations long ago adopted that approach to managing business information, but now they've really got to expand that approach to include personal information as well. And by doing so, I think organizations will reduce their risk of loss in many areas, including loss of corporate reputation, goodwill, shareholder value. Costs of litigation, regulatory enforcement, and oversight. And I think an insurer will likewise reduce its payouts with an aggressive partnership with its clients to ensure proper management of personal information.
1: Yeah, as Todd indicated, the focus for the insurer really isn't to avoid payment of claims or to avoid acceptance of coverage, but to... Work with the insured to reduce the risk of a claim by developing and implementing the best practices in privacy protection. And as technology continues to rapidly advance, the insurer would be best served by developing a skilled and knowledgeable team to develop the proper underwriting and risk management
0: protocol. Okay, great. Thanks so much for joining us today, Todd and Steve.
1: Thank you, guys. Thank you.
0: We've just spoken with Steve Kunzman and Todd Ruback from the law firm De Francesco, Bateman, Coley, Yasmin, Kunzman, Davis, and Lehrer in Warren, New Jersey. Special thanks to Brenda Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. And if you have any suggestions for an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brenda Noonan, and now this message.
3: Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys is used by decision-makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AM Best listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique Needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed—those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year-long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there is no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Bests Directory. Of Recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com.